0: Series in Nehemiah here, and it seems like we've been here we've been here for quite some time, and it's been really good but we have today is the second to last one um, in this Nehemiah series and uh, already mentioned we're we're going to be looking at the joy the joy that people had but for some of us that haven't been here. Every Sunday, including myself, in this series, I'm going to give us a quick, in my own words, a quick uh, summary, I guess, of what's taken place that that brings us up to, we'll be in Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12 today. So what brings us there? And what's really going on here is God's rebuilding his city, Jerusalem in In Ezra, right before Nehemiah, he had he rebuilt the temple, so now we're rebuilding the walls around the temple. Um, so that's what's really going on here and enter Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man who lived I got this off the internet, so who knows but seven hundred miles from Jerusalem. He'd never seen it, never been there, but he knew Jerusalem was God's city. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in, I believe, Persia. Is that right, Marcus? At the time. And one day, Nehemiah was told by, it says, one of his brothers about the bad shape of Jerusalem, God's city. The walls are fallen down the gates are burnt um, it's a, it's in bad shape and Nehemiah was really moved by this in fact it says that he wept and mourned for days so so he was really moved by this and then what's what's the first thing what's the first thing Nehemiah did does anyone know anyone remember After he was moved, what did Nehemiah do? Prayed. Yeah, he prayed. He prayed, and he prayed again a little bit later. But he prayed before he did anything else. How about that? I thought that's that's a good one for me. But anyhow... He's a cupbearer. He's a cupbearer for the king, and one day, so he's moved by this. One day, he's getting his wine for the king, whatever cupbearer does. And uh, the king said, why do you look so sad? Guess what Nehemiah did again before he tells the king what's going on? Right then, in a little instant, he prayed again. Now the king, so Nehemiah tells the, tells the king that, about the city that's, that's torn down. Um, and he asks if he can go, if, if the king would send him to go rebuild it. Now the king, king could have killed him for this. Uh, in fact, it's quite unusual. But not only, not only did the king let him go, the king commissioned him he gave him a passport and building materials to go build this wall. So this is clearly God at work because that would have was quite, un, quite unusual. So Nehemiah goes. God starts this movement and they build the wall. Now they had lots of opposition while they're building this wall that Sanballat and Tobiah... The crazies—they were a little evil. They plotted to come fight them. A whole bunch of stuff. Every time they were faced with something, what did they do? They prayed and they trusted God, and they kept working. Then, it, does anyone remember how long it took to build the wall to finish it, start to finish? It's not very long. 52 days. Clearly God again. So this, this, this is God building this wall. Um, but the people, listen, listen to what the people did that built it. They heard about this. They were moved. They took action. They rolled up their sleeves and got to work. They built the wall, and then they gave God the credit. How about that? And they realized that it was God. Because only God could have, could have accomplished something like this. Nehemiah 6, chapter 6, verses 15 and 16 says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So it was God. They knew it. Everyone knew it. Their enemies knew it. This was God moving. So, so Nehemiah, in, this, in this story, Nehemiah is really the right man in the right place with the right mindset. And he's used tremendously by God. Open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11. And in, in chapter 11, I'm going to read only verses 1 and 2. Because the rest of those chiefs of the provinces, it's mostly a lot of names that are really hard to pronounce. So we're going to lay off of them. But let's look briefly at verse, at chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Um, Now the leaders of the people living in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So this is this is after the walls rebuilt. And now Jerusalem needs occupied. There's still probably some people living there, but not enough. Um, We need people to care for the city to defend it from enemies. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of the people, a lot of the, the Jews that would have rebuilt the wall, maybe they lived elsewhere. They lived in little settlements not right in Jerusalem. So they left home to come build this wall and then went back home, went back to the comfort of home. And that's where people like to go but we needed more people in Jerusalem to take care of it and defend it. So they drew lots, and it says one out of ten, um, we'll call them families. It says men, but it probably means families. I think their wives went with them. And it says that they went willingly. There's a beautiful picture in here of people following a calling doing it willingly leaving leaving the leaving their comfort zone and taking on a new responsibility and taking it seriously and then the support that they got from from everyone else and the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem so I thought that was worth worth uh, mentioning. You know, in our church we have a lot of positions like that—positions where people it would be more comfortable to not do it, right? But thank you to everyone who who does who does a part. All the Sunday school teachers—and there's many—and uh, thank you to all of you for for doing them and doing them well. Doing doing these things as unto God. Okay, let's look at Nehemiah chapter 12. And we're going to read here. Now, this, this is the account of uh, the dedication of this wall to God. In Nehemiah 12, and I'm going to start reading in verse 27, and I'm going to, I'm going to jump through here just a, just a little bit. But let's start in verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together for the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of Netophathites. Something like that. Also from Beth Gilgalim from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshea and half of the leaders of Judah. Now I'm going to run, jump down to halfway through 36. We've got a bunch of names there again. That's all the people that were with that group up on the wall. Okay, so 36. We're picking up with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people onto the wall, above the tower of the ovens to the, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamen, Micaiah and a couple more of those names. And the singers sang with Jezreiah as their leader and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy the women and children also rejoiced and the joy of jerusalem was heard far away a lot of joy going on we're going to keep going to the end yet on that day men were appointed over the storerooms the contributions the first fruits first fruits and the tithes tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and the levites according to the fields of the town For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers— and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Now there's a lot in there. But I'd like to hone in simply on on a couple little words or one one idea here, and that's found in verse forty three. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. That great joy is what we're going to look at. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. This great joy. So what what is joy? Like, I had to really think about this. Like, are, are we joyful people? And I was like, well, maybe I'm not. Like, it probably depends on who you ask. Um, but it's something to think about. Here we live in a country with all this stuff, and we're probably some of the least joyful people a lot of the time. I mean, hopefully not us, because we have Christ. That's a reason to be joyful. But the West, there's a lot of unhappy people. But what is Joy. What's the definition of joy, right? Webster's defines joy as the emotion evoked by well-being, success or good fortune or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. So there, there's kind of a, I guess, a carnal joy that we're going to look at a bit, and then a, a Christian joy. John Piper says a Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit. So joy is a feeling. Right, and joy can't be commanded. I can't wake up tomorrow morning and say I'm going to be joyful today, and then I'm joyful. That's not how it works. Joy, joy is the result of something else taking place. Okay, it's it's a side effect. Let me give you an illustration of how of how joy works. And I'm going to use Jimmy here in this one. Now, Jimmy, Jimmy's a good ball player. I still play ball with Jimmy. And we played in a tournament yesterday. And Jimmy can whack a ball a long ways. He's a good good home run hitter. Now, here, here's, how, here's how joy works. Say Jimmy's up in the bottom of the seventh in a game we're down one, and he has a runner on first, so he's the winning run. And he gets up to the plate, and he hits a home run, okay? Wins the game. Jimmy rounds the bases. He comes home. He's high-fiving all his buddies. He's filled with joy, right? So that's, that's the carnal joy. We're going to call that joy in this story. But that's how joy works. See, Jimmy didn't go up to the plate thinking, I want, I want joy. I want to feel good. No, he went up and he did something and he acted and the result of that was joy right so it's not something it's not something we command it's not something we decide to be joy is the result of something else taking place what else is joy joy is a fruit of the spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, long suffering. And then the others. Christ said by your fruits you'll know them. So joy joy should be the evidence of a transformed heart, really. Something else about joy is it's it's not it's not determined by circumstances. And this is where it gets a little tricky. Paul wrote in Philippians. This is where he wrote. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. And where was Paul when he wrote that? Does anyone know? Anyone want to guess? He's in prison. He was Chained, chained to a wall in prison and he's command, really almost commanding us to be joyful so it doesn't, it doesn't depend on my circumstances I'm in so where does it come from where does joy come from whoops sorry let's look at this story Children of Israel, with, with the rebuilding of the wall, this joy that they celebrated with and they worshiped God with, really, I believe, came from the first 10 chapters leading up, leading up until now. And it, it comes from, from doing things God's way. Right, God, God started a movement the people heard and they listened by the way there's a big difference there big difference between hearing and listening but the people started paying attention to God and this led to a time of repentance restoration and rebuilding and out of that came this joy So I think joy comes from paying attention, from paying attention to God, and a willingness to do things His way, and it's from from being in tune with God. And here's a little analogy for what I'm what I'm talking about here. Um, I enjoy biking. Leon enjoys biking, but some of you runners will relate to this story too. Now, I'm biking and there's, there's a wind. And let's say I'm biking this way and the wind's coming at me, right? So I'm biking and I say, the wind is against me. I mean, it's hard to pedal. It's much nicer going with the wind. But I'm going this way, wind's coming here. I say, the wind is against me, right? So I turn around on the way home. By the way, you always bike into the wind first, and you got it at your back when you go home. So now I'm going home. I'm biking this way. I'm biking with the wind. I say the wind is with me. Okay. But what changed in there? Did the wind change directions? No, I changed directions. Right. So so that's how God is, and that's what I mean by by being in tune with God by moving the direction that God is moving by, 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 by paying attention to how God says to do things. So joy comes from doing things God's way. But to really get to the heart of this thing, joy is a heart issue. It's it's an outward expression of what's going on inside. It's an it's an overflow of what of what we put in our heart. And so really what I'd like to th- like us to think about today is what what do we put in our heart? Like this is a really big deal. Like Did you know that your heart is always under construction? I'll say that again. Your your heart is always under construction. So my heart is always being influenced and changed um, by what's going on, by what I listen to, what I see, what I watch, what I hear, what I think. That's all... My my heart is always changing. It's never, your heart doesn't get to a point, okay, here it is. That's it. It's always changing. So that's what I'd like us to think about. Um, Put good stuff in there because what we put in is is what comes out. In my, own, in my own words, joy is a side effect of a heart that is, I think, constantly committed to God. So it's not a one-time deal. It's an ongoing process. Um, and out of that comes this joy. That's all for me. I thank you for your attention. And I wish you all a joyful day.